Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. But go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to do some work in Luke, and then we'll see, we'll see where we land the plane. We'll probably end with Peter. But go, go now just to Luke chapter 2. And, and y'all know that we are near the end of Advent season. Y'all know that, right? Pastor John, you, you talk about Advent here? Okay. Raise your hand if you know what Advent means. Let me see your hands. Advent, Advent, if you know what the word means, it's, it's okay if, if you don't know an exact meaning. But if you're taking notes, you can just jot this down uh, at the top of, of your page. Advent, that word Advent comes from a Latin term, Adventus, which basically means coming. Can everybody say that? Coming. And so in particular, with respect to the season that we're in, Advent is all about the first coming of Jesus. How many of y'all are excited he came the first time? How many of y'all are free today because he came the first time and you believe in what he did? Okay, so he, he came the first time. And so it's that time of year we look back to that. But it's also the time of year when we look what? Forward to his, to his second coming. Now, how many of y'all are fired up about that? Uh, yeah, yeah, you should be because Jesus is going to come back. The Son of Man is going to split the sky. The dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air and to live with our God forever. Y'all fired up about that? If that doesn't light your fire, your wood is soaking wet in New Iberia. But listen, Jesus came the first time, and he's going to come the and the second, he's going to come again. And so here's where we are today. Historically, we, we are somewhere between his first coming and his, and we are doing what? We are what? Say it again. We are waiting. Now, today, I want to preach a message very simply titled, Waiting on God. Now, let me ask you all a few questions as we, begin, as we get into this this morning. Raise your hand in the balcony. Raise your hand on the floor if you love to wait. If you lie in church, you go straight to hell. Come on. Raise your hand, though, if you like to wait. And, and, and I, I didn't expect any hands to go up. There was a crazy person at the Lafayette campus last Sunday who raised her hands. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. I don't know how to compute with that. But one person said, I like to wait. Uh, in, does anyone, like, you like to wait? It, like you got something on your mind and you want to do it. Like you can't wait for someone to tell you to wait. No, of course. We all, if we're honest, don't we? We hate the, now let, let me see if I have any witnesses. Raise your hand if in most cases you hate to wait. <laughs> there we go. Okay. That, that, that's, well, that's our story. That's like who we are, right? We, we hate, we hate to wait. And, and I feel like, you know, in my life, I feel like I spend most of my life waiting on something or for something. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, for example, I feel like I spend most of my life waiting in traffic. Uh, do y'all have traffic problems in New Iberia? I didn't think so. Okay. Well, in, in, <laughs> in Lafayette, Stretch your hands toward Lafayette and pray for all the Christians who are waiting in traffic on Collie, uh, is it Callisti or Collie? Yeah, they call it all, I hear all kinds, but Collie Kaboom, 
right? Where there's always a wreck. Ambassador, there's always a wreck. We're waiting in line there, uh, waiting, you know, wherever you go in life. Yet there seems to be a line uh, because of a wreck or whatever. I feel like I I spend my life waiting in traffic. Uh, I feel like I spend my life waiting in the line at the coffee shop. Uh, I feel like like I'm constantly waiting on a breakthrough to take place. Uh, maybe for a healing to occur, because I'm believing for so many people. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not just waiting personally, but I'm waiting, I'm waiting with them for things to happen for them. How about y'all? And so I feel like I spend my life waiting for these things and, and many, many other things as well. Uh, one, one thing in particular that, that I, I spend a lot of time waiting on is for, watch this, this is deep, this is spiritual. Y'all ready? Are y'all ready? Say yes, because I'm going to say it anyway. For my Amazon order to arrive. Come on, anybody in the house, like you would much rather shop online than go to the store. Let me see your hands. Raise your hand if you do a little bit of both. Okay, yeah. Well, I I like to go on Amazon, and this is throughout the year, and I I just love getting things in the mail. Anybody else? Like, I just like getting things in the mail. Um, I am a professor and I'm a, a pastor, so I teach at several universities and a pastor of the Midtown campus. And so one of my uh, responsibilities, it's a job and a joy that, that I have, is to I write and I research and I publish peer review stuff to stay in the professoring world. And with that means I have to order a lot of books, okay? And so I order books throughout the year because it's a part of my profession. But let me, let me just be honest. When it comes to my personal life, I need another book like Lafayette needs another car wash. <laughs> or, or how about this? Like Youngsville needs another roundabout. Yeah. Or like New Iberia needs another cane truck. <laughs> now I'm preaching good. Listen, I, that's just the truth. But, but professionally, I, I have to stay on top of it. I got to order books all the time. So I like going on, placing my order. And I love how on Amazon, you know, there, there's this really awesome link. It's called uh, track package. You know, once you place your order, if you click on track package, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? How many, how many control freaks you have? You love to track your package, know exactly where it is, when it's going to arrive. Well, there's a little bar that goes across you can follow. And when you click track package, the first, the first thing it says is what? Ordered, right? Th- then it says, it says shipped. I like that. And then the next one is out for and here's the one we love. When the bar goes all the way across, delivered. Not like the deliverance you get on a Sunday morning, right? Some of us need that, but it's delivered like your package, it, it has arrived. How many of y'all love that? And so, you're, you, you know, you're at work and you're, you're you know, lunch break, looking, tracking your package, and you see that the package has been delivered. You can't wait to get home. Well, th- listen, this is a, this is a funny, but, but in all seriousness, a really accurate picture of, of our lives as Christians, as we wait on God, as we wait for God. Here's what I'm talking about. Check this out. It's like when we pray, it's kind of like us placing our order with God. Lord, I need the breakthrough. How many of y'all need a breakthrough today? Just be honest. Let me see your hands. You need a breakthrough of some sort. Lord, we need a breakthrough. Wouldn't it be nice if we could go online and track the status of our prayer request? Wouldn't that be awesome? 
like to know like how long we're going to have to wait. Wouldn't it be nice if we could go online and, and, and God tell us that the order, your, your, your order is going to arrive by four o'clock the next day. Wouldn't that be nice? Unfortunately, we don't have that privilege. We don't have the privilege. We have the privilege of praying, but we don't have the privilege of knowing when that prayer is going to be, to be answered. And, and so here we are, many of us today, you've been praying, some of you for, for days, for weeks, some of you for months and years, you've made the prayer request, you've offered your request to God, you've prayed for the breakthrough, you've prayed for the healing, you've prayed for your loved one, you, you've prayed and you know God has heard your prayer. How many of y'all know God hears your prayer? How many of y'all know he hears your prayer? And he's willing to respond, but, but maybe you, you've offered the prayer, but, 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 but the, the answer is still out. You have not yet seen the delivery. Pretty much everyone in here fits in that category. Every single one of us here are waiting on something or we are waiting for something. That's just the human predicament that we are in. And here's the tricky thing. Think this through with me. I've written it down this way. Waiting on God can be one of the greatest tests of our faith in God. Do I need to say that one more time? Waiting on God can be one of the greatest tests of our faith. Say it with me. In, in God, right? In, in, I hope that resonates because for, for me this is true. Because listen, I know God exists. How many of y'all believe in God? Every single one, I'm sure you believe in God, and you're here because you believe in God, and you're seeking more of Him. We believe in God. But R.C. Sproul, a great preacher, once said that faith means not only believing in God, but true faith means believing God. Do you understand? It's not just believing in God. How many of y'all believe God exists? You do, but it's not just believing that God exists. It's not just believing in God. Faith means believing God's word. It means trusting in his character. It means trusting in his promises. It means trusting and knowing that God, one way or another, in his perfect timing, is going to come through for you and for me. But here we are in the gap. Some of you are suffering today greatly. You know, loved ones who are suffering greatly, you're in the gap. You're waiting on God, and he hasn't moved yet. Well, one person said it this way. The serpent in Genesis 3 did not slither into the garden and call into question by tempting Eve the existence of God. The serpent called into question the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Of God. And listen to me, my friends, this morning. That's exactly what he does in our lives while we are waiting. The serpent will slither in and call into question not whether or not God exists, but whether or not God is good. That's the season. That's when you're most vulnerable while you're waiting on him. And that's the real test. Are we going to trust? Are we going to trust? that God has heard? Are we going to trust that God is going to answer? Are we going to trust his word? Or are we going to give in to the temptation to murmur and to complain and to call into question his goodness? And let me just remind all of you here of something very important. And this, you can write this down. This is a deep theological truth. Listen, write this down. We are a microwave 
generation. But we serve a crockpot kind of God. Can I get a witness? How many of you would say that it seems like God's slow sometimes in your life? But let me help you with something. If God is cooking something up for you, it might take a little bit longer than you anticipated. But if God is in the kitchen, if God is cooking something, how many of y'all know it is going to be good, but you've got to wait on him? You've got to trust his timing. You've got to trust. You have to trust his heart. You have to trust his character. And that's where we are as a family. We're in that waiting period. And so today, for the next several hours that we have together, I'm teasing first-time guests. For the next how many ever minutes, we're going to read about a man named Simeon who waited on the Lord and waited well as he, as he anticipated the arrival of the greatest gift this world has ever known, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Check it out, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification... According to the law of Moses, they, that's Mary and Joseph, brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the the Lord. Parenthetically, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called, you say it, holy to the, yeah, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 15, here's the key. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting. Now, let me stop right there. Those are three words that don't normally go together. Well, actually, four, if you have uh, the and. But two, two words in particular, righteous, devout, and then waiting. How many of y'all know those don't go together, typically? How many of y'all know while we're waiting, it's very easy to be unrighteous, <laughs> you know, to, to get in the flesh, so the, the, those, these don't always go together. They should. They sure did for Simeon. He was righteous and he was devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was what? Upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the, by the what? Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a promise, huh? And he came in the Spirit into the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. In other words, I'm ready to die. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your what? Salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, what a story. It's not very long, but it is very powerful. And all we know about Simeon is what's recorded here. And just to recap, we're told that, first of all, he's righteous and devout, and he was righteous and devout while he waited for the consolation of Israel. And we're told here that the Holy Spirit basically had promised him, God promised him that he would not see death before he had seen the Christ, the promised one. And and, and essentially the promise was, Simeon, you're going to hold the Messiah. You're going to see the Messiah. You're going to see the promise and then pass on. And let let me step out of the text into your life for just a minute. You will see the promises of God in your life and then you will pass on. 
You will see every God's promise appointed for you individually and for us corporately, and then you will pass on. Can I get a better amen? David served God's purpose in his generation and then passed on. And y'all understand with Christianity, this whole thing's rigged, right? Paul says to live is Christ and to die is. So whether you live, you win. If you die, you die. You, you win. It's gain. No matter whether you live, you die. It's all rigged. You win. If you don't get healed in this life, I promise you will on the way to the next life. And you will live in the presence of God and experience his promises forever. Now, if you get that, I don't want you to get up and do a Pentecostal lap, but you should. If you get the fact that God is eternally for you and that death cannot separate you from his promises, cancer cannot separate you from his promises, no setback can separate you from his promises, that the forecast is bright because the S-O-N is out, the sun is out, your God is great, the promises of God are yours. Come on, New Iberia, give him praise. It's all yes and amen. It's all yes and amen. Simeon got to hold the promise. Phenomenal. If Simeon had a computer, he could log on. Ordered, promise made, prophecies fulfilled, the package delivered. He could track it all the way through. Simeon waited day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. We don't know all the details, but we know he waited. And then one day it happened. The infinite God became an infant. Jesus left heaven, came to the earth, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the virgin, you say it, Mary, the word became flesh. And it's been said that the greatest moment in human history is when man stepped foot on the moon, but I would completely disagree. The greatest moment in human history, I would argue, is that when, occurred when God became one of us and walked this earth. Come on, give him praise. The only one, the only one, the root of David, the son of the living God, became one of us and dwelt among us. Simeon got to hold the one who would hold him. Let that sink in for just a minute. We typically think of Jesus just as this, like, yes, awesome man. And he was fully man, but he was also fully God. One person, two natures. It's called the hypostatic union. Fully divine, fully human. Your Jesus is God Almighty. Alpha and Omega. Beginning and end. Everything in between. He is everything. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is your deliverer. He is the eternal God. And Paul says in Colossians 1 that all things were made by him, all things were made through him, all things ultimately were made for Jesus. And Paul goes on to say that in him all things hold together. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, this time of year especially, we're reminded of the fact that you became one of us and you came to this earth and you hold us together. Listen, your marriage is held together in the grip of his grace. Your life is held together in the grip of Jesus' grace. Every molecule and all matter, everything in the cosmos is held together in the grip of Christ's grace. How many of y'all know we serve a great Messiah? We serve a great God. We serve a great, a great Messiah, a great deliverer, and his name is Jesus. Come on, say it with me. Jesus, the son of the living God, we worship you today, Lord. Come on, just begin, begin to give him praise right now. Jesus, Jesus, we worship you. Come on, give him praise right now. Give him praise. Begin to worship him. Begin to tell him how awesome. In the balcony, tell him right now. Jesus, you have the preeminence in this place. There's nobody like you. No one. There's no one like you. Simeon got to hold the one who would hold him. But... Simeon had to wait for the fulfillment of the promise. And we're in the same predicament. We're all here waiting on something today, for maybe for you, a physical healing. It could be for a spiritual breakthrough. It could be for a, a loved one to get saved. It could be for a greater opportunity, some sort of financial relief. It could be something of that sort. We're all waiting on something, and we're all waiting for something. And as I said earlier, let me say it again. We all hate the wait, don't we? Because the wait is often very weighty, isn't it? The wait can be very weighty. And we wonder, God, I know you exist. So it's not an issue of ability. You know my problem, you know my situation. You could, but why haven't you moved? Why haven't you acted? There's the test. And while we wait, we suffer. Some of you today, you're suffering in your body. You have chronic back issues. And you know, when you, when you, if you haven't had back issues and you hear about someone with back issues, it's like, oh, you know, bless your heart. But how many of y'all know when you have back issues and then you get healed of your back issues, how, how many of y'all know your praise goes to a whole nother level. If you never suffered in a certain way, then it's hard to understand. But when you suffer, and then when you get your breakthrough, the weight is weighty. If you're single, you got saved, and you're waiting for that special someone, and he, she has not arrived. Well, that's a big test, huh? Maybe you've been married before. That marriage ended. Maybe your spouse died and you're, you're waiting in your 60s, 70s on someone, somebody else. I mean, it's going to be different from person to person, but the wait, the wait is weighty. And, and we hate the wait because waiting means suffering. And some of you today are, are suffering. You're, you're hurting physically. You're hurting emotionally. And, and if that's you then you, you have a friend. You need to know today you have a friend in us and you have a friend even more in David, the psalmist. I want you to hear what David says in Psalm 13, 1 through 4. L listen to the questions here and listen to how he processes his own pain honestly before God. He asks, how long, O Lord? How long, O Yahweh? Will you forget me forever? How many of y'all have ever 
truly felt forgotten. Let me see your hands. Just be honest, be honest. You feel like God's passed you by? I have. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long shall my cancer be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now these words come from a very honest man. And how many of y'all know we should always be honest before God? Someone said, but if I tell him how I feel, he may get upset. He already knows. How many of y'all know? He already knows. And he's not looking for you to give a perfect response. He's waiting for you to give an honest response. For you to say what he already sees. To say, Lord, this is really how I feel. And how many of y'all know emotions are important? But your emotions are are not, they should not be ultimate. Jesus' word, this word is ultimate. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. This word and the promises therein are eternal. And so we have to learn to live by what God says, not according to how we feel. As it's been said, your emotions They are indicators, but they should never be dictators. Did you get that? Your feelings should not dictate how you live. Your feelings should not dictate how you respond. Your feelings should not rule you. The only one who should rule you is Jesus, the one who has the right to rule you. And as he rules you, he rules you for your everlasting good. Can I get a better amen? He knows what you need before you even ask. David laments because he feels like he has been forgotten, like God has passed him by, like God has removed his covenant love from him. And the question is, how long, oh, Yahweh, how long, God? How long are you going to keep us waiting? God, how much more injustice? How much more will there have to be? How much more hatred? How much more brokenness? How, how many more things have to take place before you come back, Jesus? How long, oh God? I think if you're honest today, we're all asking that question about some area of our lives. And I thought about this for a long time, back when I wrote this message initially. What's the answer? As said earlier, it'd be great if God would let us track tracker package but we don't have that ability what we do have is faith what we do have is trusting his word what we do have is the scripture I'm going to give you that I want you to write down that if you get it this will be a word you can stand on as you wait Galatians 4 4 says it this way beginning there we'll go to verse 5 But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, 
born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So essentially what Paul is saying is that it was in the fullness of time, not the shortness of time, but in the fullness. Everybody say fullness. So there, there's you know, two different, at least two different words in Greek for time. There's chronos time, which in our day is like the, uh, it's like the tick-tock of the clock. Um, if you work an hourly job, or perhaps even if you don't, if you're watching the clock as you work, you can watch or listen to the second hand, tick, 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 tick. The, the chronos is the tick, 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 tick through the day. It's linear time. But kairos, kairos is the appointed time. And how many of y'all, sometimes when you hear the clock ticking, you get lost in the tick, and you wonder if the moment is ever going to arrive. You feel like you're waiting forever, and you wonder in that silence when all you can hear is the tick-tock, you wonder, is it ever going to happen? Happen. And then, thank God, we have in Scripture, and thank God in our own lives, we have these kairos moments when it's where one event after another takes place, And then finally and fully, God comes through. It's after you've been waiting. It's in the fullness of time, the appointed time that the promise is delivered. Paul says that this is what happened. It was in the fullness of time. It wasn't just just like a few things had to happen and God answered the prayers of people because he, you know, they're so anxious and he just moved. No, God does nothing arbitrarily. God does everything on purpose and according to a plan. And so historically, promise made, Messiah's coming. They spoke, the prophets spoke, event after event, year after year, century after century went by and it looked as though God was doing nothing. But listen to me carefully. John Piper says it this way. God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now. And you're probably aware of about three of them. God was doing 100,000 things in the ancient world to prepare the world for the arrival of his son. He worked in Alexander the Great. He worked in the Greek language. He, he, he worked in such a way so the early Christians could overcome linguistic barriers to preach the gospel of his son to as many people as possible. God worked in Alexander. He worked in the Romans. He worked in Israel. He worked in Joseph and in Mary. He worked in Simeon. And I promise you today, he's working in you. He's working in you right now. And then event after event after event took place. And then it was in the fullness, not the shortness of time, but in the fullness of time that Jesus came to this world born, born into this world to set the captives free. And the world wasn't perfect when he came. But it was in the fullness of time. It was in God's perfect timing. What was God doing in the world while the world waited on Jesus? It's a good question. I could give you a whole history lesson. Let me just say this. The same things, mom and moms, that you did when you discovered that you were pregnant. When Kelly discovered that she was pregnant with our, our first Sweetheart, you remember you came into the room and you sat down on the bed and she said, you're never going to believe this, but I'm pregnant. 
And she said, how did this happen? And I said, baby, that's another sermon. Right? And she pulled out the pregnancy test as proof. And on that pregnancy test were two pink lines, right? Two pink lines. You know what I said before God, before her? We're having twins? She said, no, stupid. (laughs) It just confirms that we are pregnant. I'm like, yeah, what? And then you remember, she, she put me to work. While we were waiting on the arrival of our firstborn, that woman put me to work. Lowe's, Home Depot, got your mom working online, ordering furniture, getting the paint for, for Karsten's room. She bought clothes. She bought him enough diapers to last through his sophomore year in college. <laughs> Stuff just stacked everywhere. So you ask, well, why are you sharing this? Well, the point is, how would she do all that? Well, because she wanted to make sure that the house was just right for the arrival of our son into this world. So when he came, we wouldn't be busy doing things in the house. We could concentrate and focus on the gift that had been delivered by God into this world. And how many of y'all know if God works in moms to do all that for our natural children as a good father, how many of y'all know he was working in the world to make sure the world was just right for the arrival of his son? And I promise you, the world was waiting on God. God promised and God came through. And Jesus came into this world at just the right time. Watch this, we're almost done. God was working in the world while the people of God waited for Messiah. And listen to me carefully. God is also working in you right now. Even if you can't discern it, even if you can't put your finger on it, he's working in you right now. My old pastor taught me this. The keys helped me sound a little more spiritual. Came a little early, but track with me. My old pastor taught me this. What God does in us while we wait is oftentimes just as important as what he does for us when he answers. Does that make sense? Let me say it a better way. Thank you, Pastor Ray McCollum. Let me put a better spin to this. What God does in us while we wait is oftentimes, if not all the time, more important than what he does for us when he answers. Think think this through with me. Does that make sense? So you're praying for a new home. There's nothing wrong with praying for a new home. Lord, I need a new place to live. Nothing wrong with that. Lord, I need a new job. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with, God, my car is struggling. You got, you know, a coat hanger and the tailpipe is dragging. Lord, I need a vehicle. How many of y'all know God is our provider? God is our deliverer. He cares about every need you have. He cares and knows about every hair on your head, or the ones that should be there. He knows. (laughs) He knows. How many of y'all know God is into the details? There's nothing wrong with praying that God will do things 
for you. But don't miss this. Oftentimes, the most important work is done in you while you wait. Some are praying, God, help me build my business. May your businesses flourish for the kingdom of God. Entrepreneurs, real estate agents, whatever you do, can I say that? May you prosper for the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God, through your generosity, and through your surrender to the king, so that his kingdom will prosper. Amen? God, build my business. Help me build my business. That's a good prayer. But a better one is, God, help me build my character. Lord, build my integrity so that as my business is built and as the success comes, I have the character and the integrity to sustain it and not squander it. Just... God, get me out of this situation. Some of you are praying that and you need like immediate deliverance. And I get it. Pray that. I understand the reason behind it. But listen, we want God to get us out of the situation and God can get you out quickly, but maybe he wants to get the fear and the anxiety out of you before he gets you out of the situation. Because once you get out of the situation, you're going to go into another situation. And I'm telling you, what God does in you is oftentimes more important than what he does for you. He's not going to wipe the slate and make it clean and nice in your life just from here to glory, awesome and easy. No, there are trials, there are bumps, there are many dangers, toils and snares, but along the way, we're the people of God. Greater is he that lives in us and he that's in the world. Greater is he that is in our circumstances. Though our circumstances are great, the one that lives in is greater. Maybe God's building you. Maybe he wants to build something in you, get something out of you. We want God to change our circumstances, but I promise you, he is more interested in changing you and me. Isn't he? Circumstances, that's nothing. Circumstances. In the circle that you're standing in, God wants to circumcise your heart to cut away the sin, to cut away the unbelief, to cut away everything that's not like him so you look more like him so that when you get out of that situation, you look more like Jesus. And the unbelieving world is like, how did he do that? And then you respond, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of the living God living in me. And then you point people straight to Jesus because he, not me, he, not him, he's the hero. Jesus is your hero. And you better live in such a way that the world knows it's true. Your prayer should be, God, work in me while I wait on you. Number two. Y'all okay? You good? Y'all okay waiting? Couple more, couple more. I'm feeling, I'm feeling it with y'all. Number two, how we wait oftentimes determines how long we wait. That get you? How you wait. Oftentimes, not always. Got to be careful not to overstate our case. Oftentimes determines how long you wait. And for most of us, Grumbling is the most common response in times of waiting, isn't it? And when you grumble, that's just another way of saying 
God, you got this wrong. You should have come through for me much earlier. And God's loving response is, the next time you speak 100 billion galaxies into existence and hold them together by the power of your word, then you can determine the timing of your life. You got it, didn't you? So, in our season of waiting, your character is being tested. Your faith is being tested right now. We hate the test, don't we? Does anybody like to take tests? But as it's been said, the test, the test will pass when you pass the test. Y'all get that? In other words, God's put you in this season. He's after something while you wait on him. He's after something in you and me. He said, what's he after? Many things. But let's start with this one. The proper response of thanksgiving to him. That, Lord, I don't like my circumstances. But, Lord, if you never did another thing for me, God, oh, God, you've already done too much. Someone said, give me one reason to be thankful. I said, I'll give you about 55 if you got time. Let me start with this one. You're alive today. Let me give you another one. You got breath in your lungs. Let me keep going. You got a beat in your heart. You got the spirit within, the people of God all around, the promises of God ahead. Give me one reason. I'll give you 10,000 reasons to praise God. If you listen, if you have time to wait, I'll give you 10,000 reasons to bless and to praise your God. Give me one reason. Don't ever come to me saying that. An 11-day journey for the Israelites took how long? Why? Because of grumbling, because of complaining, which is ultimately unbelief. Well, Moses, at least back in Egypt, we had food, we had water, we had sustenance. Have you brought us out here to die? And we read that and we're like, preach. But then we go home and we wait on God and God doesn't come through. And we say things like, well, I've been saved now for a week and Lord, no spouse. <laughs> you know, I've, been, I've been waiting. It's been a solid month. At least back before I got saved, I had a boyfriend, I had a girlfriend, I could have fun. Listen, the idea is not ultimately fun. The idea is to know the risen Christ. And if you never get anything in this life, you get him. And in his presence is fullness of joy. In his presence is deliverance. In his presence, you, you realize what you were created for. And then you begin to give him thanks. Thanks comes out of your mouth and then... That's a key indication that you've got what he's trying to show you in that season. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about, about what? That pretty much covers it, doesn't it? About anything, but in, but in what? Everything by, and, well, here it is, here it is, with, let your requests be made known. Place your order in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds and hopefully your mouths in Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving is one of the key indications that you are ready to graduate 
to the next season. What are you waiting on today? What are you waiting for? Keep praying. Keep believing. But give God thanks in the waiting. Lastly, be faithful in the ordinary while you are waiting on the miraculous. Does that make sense? Do y'all believe in miracles? You sure? Me too. Someone, I, someone said, I believe in miracles. They happen all the time in my life. I'm like, well, by definition, a miracle is something that doesn't happen all the time. You know, the song is, when I open my mouth, miracles start coming out. Is that how it goes? Brittany, where's Brittany? Is that how it goes? Is, it, is that right? When I open my mouth, miracles start breaking out. I wish that were true. How many of y'all wish you could just, there's a miracle? <laughs> right? Let's, let's be honest about that. I know what the song's trying to say, but that's not reality. Every time I open my mouth, there's a miracle. There's a, it's, Lord, I need you to do a miracle. Sometimes, boom, God comes through. But sometimes I have to wait for years. What do you do while you're waiting on the miracle? Be faithful in the ordinary. Get up, read your Bible, get with God, not just to get something from him, but to get him. Husbands, love your wives. Serve in the church. Pray, spend time with God fully aware that God is going to come through one way or another. But as you wait on the miraculous, just be faithful in the ordinary. Someone said, well, when the, when the miracle happens, then, then I'll serve the Lord. Then I'll get busy. No, 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 don't wait. Start, start working now as you anticipate what he's going to do in your life. Just, just get ready and know that it's going to happen if, if you'll just trust him and just wait on him. That, that's what Anna Anna did that. She, she waited on the Lord like a waiter. She waited on the Lord while she waited for the Lord. What am I talking about? Let's conclude with this. Luke 2, 36-38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Watch this. Don't miss this. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She fasted and she prayed. She waited on God while she waited on God. 